Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and his critics say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. There is no greater love than this, to lay down your life for your friends. Stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Hello, friends. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm the creative pastor here at CTK Bellingham, and I'm excited to be with you this weekend. Uh, I'd love that last song. It says that our sin is dead and gone, and now we get to say Alleluia. Amen? I don't know if it's ever too early in a service to ask for an amen, but I prayed about it. I felt like God was giving me the green light, and so I just went for it. So I hope you'll stay with me. I was thinking this week about one of my favorite childhood memories, and it was a food fight that I got into with my mom and sister when I was about six years old. We were baking cookies or, or cinnamon rolls or, or cakes. Honestly, I don't really know. I think I'm a little hungry, so I'm adding a little extra flavor to the story. But I do remember, friends, at one point that my mom thought that it would be a good idea to take a little bit of flour and fling it on my face. A little immature, if you ask me. <laughs> and she might have thought it was going to be this cute little moment, this funny little thing, but boy, was she wrong. Little did she know that she had just woken the bear. And I got to be honest, I tried not to respond. I tried to be the mature one, the bigger person. Honest to God, I did. My head told me not to do it, but my heart, friends, my heart told me that it was time for battle. And so I picked up a full-on fistful of flour, and I just let my mom have it right in her face. And things escalated pretty quickly from there. And I'll be honest, at one point, I'm pretty sure that I had a rolling pin, and I was smacking my sister with it. It wasn't my best moment as a human being, but I'm just trying to be honest and, 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 and vulnerable with you. It was, it was one of those moments. It was an all-out war. Friends, flour was being flung to and fro with reckless abandon in our kitchen up in Cordova, Alaska. And at the end of the exchange, the kitchen looked like a scene out of a Rachel Ray horror movie. <laughs> I, I brought a picture 
because I wanted to make sure that you knew that I wasn't lying in church. <laughs> there was the glorious mess. And this picture, like, pales into comparison uh, to the actual chaos that we unleashed on that kitchen that day. I, I think we moved pretty quickly after this flower fight, and I think one of the main reasons is because we didn't want to finish cleaning up after this mess. The cleanup took forever. At least that's what my mom told me. I didn't actually help. <laughs> but man, was it fun. It was epic. It was beautiful. It was messy. And to this day, it's still one of my most cherished memories. It's still one of my favorite pictures. It's still one of my favorite moments that I got to have with my mom and my sister. And if you ask me, I think that that picture is a really perfect picture of love. Has anyone else in here found out that love isn't always a neat as tidy as it seems in the movies? There's two of us. All right, three, four, five. All right. That some of the best moments in life are actually some of the messiest. You know, on the other side of the spectrum, one year my family got family portraits taken, and we had these terrible matching turtlenecks that we all had to wear. And we posed all nice. We all had good smiles on our faces. And I mean, we got some pretty good pictures, don't get me wrong, but honestly, I prefer the picture with the flower. I think it's a better representation of what it looks like to be a family. Because honestly, loving people rarely looks like a posed picture, but it oftentimes can look like a flower fight. It happened when, it, when, when you least expect it. It's a little untamed and chaotic and messy, but if you're lucky like me in the middle of the mess, you'll see people with smiles on their faces because they're in it together with you. And the only problem is, friends, that I think as I've been uh, wrestling with this, this topic of Jesus and messy people is that I think a lot of us are hesitant to enter into those messy moments. We're, we're thinking about the cleanup that's going to come afterwards so then we don't actually step up and step into those moments that can actually be uh, some of the most beautiful, tangible expressions of love. And so today we're actually going to look at a story in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see what Jesus does when he's faced with a messy situation. And I've just been praying like crazy, guys, that this story would, would somehow get in you, like it would change you, that it would rub off on you. Um, but before I get into the story itself, I'd just love the opportunity to pray for you. So would you bow your head? Lord Jesus, uh, this weekend is all about you. God, we thank you that you're moving through the power of your Holy Spirit, God. This prayer has been on my heart. Would you strengthen the inner being of each person here, God, so that we can be grounded and rooted in you? God, we want to leave this place changed. We don't want some information to stick in our pocket. We want transformation that compels us, God, to be your hands and your feet in Bellingham, Washington. God, we pray that you would move in power, that you would give us ears to hear what you have for us. Would you give us the humility to realize that we don't have it all figured out, and God, the boldness to actually move towards the things that you invite us into. God, we love you. We recenter on you in this moment. This is all about you. Would you change our hearts? You have our full attention, Lord. Would you speak? Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So I titled this weekend's talk, Jesus and Messy People. Jesus and Messy People. So what I'd like you to do is, would you look at your neighbor and would you tell him, I think he's talking about you. Now, if somebody just told you that, would you look right back at him and say, no, 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 no. I think he's talking about you, too. <laughs> Don't you pin this on me. You know, one of my favorite things about Jesus is that he never shies away from a mess. He never shies away from a mess. Amen? 
And we're in a new series called Friend of Sinners. I'm so excited about it because we get to talk about these different stories where we get to see Jesus engage with the world and figure out who he was, who he is, and who he's going to continue to be and what it means for us in Bellingham, Washington to follow after him. You know, I think the church hasn't always done the best job of giving us images of Jesus that like actually show us to the extent to which um, he would go to love people. A lot of times there's these clean pictures and his hair is nice and flowy and he's got this spotless lamb and he just looks like he's uh, ready to just have a family barbecue. But really when we read these stories, we realize that Jesus is always inviting the messes of the world and the messes of men towards him. So I'm excited to talk to you about this Jesus who isn't afraid of the messes and figure out what it looks like for us to learn what his voice sounds like so that we can be invited into the story that he's telling through our lives. And tonight we're looking at a story in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35. And this is a story about Jesus healing a blind beggar. And since this story is told in two other gospels, Specifically in the, the Gospel of Mark, this story gets told and we learn that this blind beggar's name is Bartimaeus. So this is a story about the blind Bartimaeus. You can read along with me if you brought your Bible. If not, it's going to be up on the screens or it'll be in your outline as well. So starting in verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting at the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing. This blind man, Bartimaeus, called out. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the fact that he used the, the name son of David is significant because it means that he knew that Jesus wasn't just Jesus from Nazareth. He was son of David, which is a name for the Messiah. So he knew that this was the Messiah. So he's really saying, son of David, Messiah, God, have mercy on me. Verse 39 says, those who led the way, it's probably the disciples, rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But I like this guy. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, the man replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. So when he got connected to the story of Jesus, he decided that he not only wanted to receive the healing, but follow after his God. And when all the people saw this, they praised God. Oh man, I love this story. And I don't have time to go through every single detail of it, but since we just got done with a seven-week series on the different words of praise, I think it's important to note that this story ends with people praising God. When there's healing that happens, people praise God. When Jesus enters into broken situations, people end by praising God. And what's interesting to me is actually who's doing the praising. And this is in your outline, but according to Scripture, it's the same people who told Bartimaeus to stay quiet at the beginning of the story that end the story by praising God. And so it's interesting because just a few verses earlier, they're telling this man to keep quiet and to keep his distance away. But then Jesus decides to enter in and this healing happens and it's this beautiful moment and everyone's praising God. And what it shows us is these people wanted the miracle, but they didn't want to deal with the mess. They didn't want the messiness of this man, but they wanted the miracle. But oftentimes it's the message that leads to the miracle. I love this story because I think it's such good news for, for you and for me. 
And today there's three things specifically that I want us to notice in this story um, that I, I believe are, are, are going to challenge us and, and are going to move us forward. Um, so the first thing I want you to notice in this story is that there's an invitation to stop. There's an invitation to stop. Jesus invites us to stop. It's right here in, in verse 40. It starts with these two words. Usually they're just throwaway words. Nobody pays much attention to them. But uh, if you ask me, I think they're some of the, the, the most powerful, some of the most potent, some of the most important words for us to truly grasp and, and, and come around. And these are the words. They just say this. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. So oftentimes we think about Jesus uh, for, for what he does, for his, his love, for his grace that was poured out on the cross, and that's all good. Uh, but, but there's a lot of people that need to, to come around this idea that when it comes to healing, you can have all the power in the world, but unless you actually have the capacity to stop and extend that lending hand of help, then all the power in the world isn't going to do anything. It's said Jesus stopped which is such good news for us because he could have the power to heal, but unless he chose to stop and listen and have ears to hear and eyes to see the need and a healing hand that could be extended. It says, Jesus stopped. I don't want us to miss this. It's not like Jesus didn't have places to go. Because if you know the story, you know that he was on the way to save the world, literally. And yet when he heard the voice of this lowly beggar, scripture tells us that he stopped what he was doing, and he, he actually listened. Now, I'm convinced this might have been the first miracle in the story. I remember one Father's Day when I was young, and our Sunday school teacher invited all the, the kids to write these little notes to their dad about what they appreciated about them. I remember getting it and, and, and thinking for a while, and then it hit me. I knew exactly what I wanted to write to my dad. So I scribbled out. Uh, the, these words. I said, Dad, thanks for always having time to play ball with me. Thanks for always having time to play ball with me. And, and I, I put it into the envelope and I delivered it to my dad. Honestly, I didn't think it was that big of a deal when I was younger. But I remember he got it and he was, he was so touched by this simple note, thanks for always having time for me. And he got a little bit emotional about it. And it's only since I've gotten older that I've begun to realize that it's because that's a really big deal. Because that's something that he actually prioritized. It's not like my dad just had time to play ball with me. It's not like we just have time sitting around that we're trying to figure out what to do with. My dad had a hundred other things that he could do. He didn't have time. What he did was he made time. He didn't have space, he created space. Every day when I went home, I would ask my dad if he wanted to play catch, and he was a busy man. He had the honeydew list, he had all his work projects, but still he would always say yes, even if it's only for a couple minutes, but it's not because he had time, friends. It's because he made time, he created space, he created margins so that we could have those moments and share them together. Friends, we don't have time, we create time for the things that we think are meaningful and powerful and worthwhile. And so I think it's important for us to realize that Jesus didn't have time for Bartimaeus. He didn't have time. He made time. Jesus didn't have space. He created space. He didn't have the margin. He made the margin for this man's mess. And when I look at the Gospels, uh, I just see this recurring theme, friends, uh, that this Jesus is always having time uh, to actually bless the people that God puts in his path. 
If I had to describe it in a word, I would say that Jesus was interruptible. He might have a plan for what his day was going to look like, but if he saw a need, he would stop. He would change. He would reroute. He would believe that that person was more important than his plan. He was interruptible. And I think that that begs a, church, or that begs a question for us as a church. Are we interruptible like Jesus? Are we Jesus followers, the people who've been tasked with bringing his love to the world, are we interruptible or have we just become so busy that we think that the thing that's urgent is more important than the person that God's putting in front of us? If God decided today on your way home from church to put somebody in front of you with a real need, would you actually feel like you had a decision to make or would you just continue on? It says that Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped what he was doing so that he could extend a healing hand. And one of my favorite scriptures is Ephesians 2, verse 10. And it proves that there's always going to be something that God has for you to do. It says, we were created, friends, for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has works for us to do. It's just whether or not we're going to see the works. Because uh, if we don't actually make time to stop, we're just going to continue walking by all the things that God puts in our path because we're so focused on the plans that we've already made. And there's going to be uh, all sorts of things that we miss an opportunity to actually have the, the impact that we were created to have. Friends, we need to make margin in our lives so that we have space for the things that are important not just the things that we think are urgent. And I can tell you right now, the voice of the enemy is always going to tell you that you're too busy. He's always going to make an excuse for why your plan is more important than the person God puts in front of you. But the voice of Jesus, the good news is that he's always inviting us to stop to do what he did, to actually follow in his path, to hear the needs of others, to see the needs of others, and to stop, to reroute, to choose that people are more important than plans, and to lend a helping hand. Amen? Amen. So scripture says Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him when he came near Jesus, asked, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I love that question. I think it shows that our God's a giver, not a taker. But honestly, if I was Bartimaeus, if, if Jesus asked me, what do you want me to do for you? I would be at least a little bit confused by the question, and if not a little bit frustrated, because Bartimaeus, if you know who Bartimaeus was, you know that he called out and said, son of David. So he knew that this was the Messiah that he was talking to. This was, this was, this was God. And if God knows every desire of your heart, then why would he ask you to answer a question that he already knows the answer to? He's saying, what do you want me to do for you? He said, well, aren't you, aren't you the Messiah? Don't you know? Isn't it obvious? I'm a blind beggar. I need to see. I need some coins so that I can continue to live. I need some food so I can continue to eat. It's not like Jesus didn't know what Bartimaeus needed. But for some reason, he made him say it out loud. And that's the second thing in here. I think that there's an invitation for us to actually say it out loud. Jesus is inviting us to say it out loud, whatever our needs are, whatever our dreams are, whatever we need help with. He's inviting us to actually speak it, not just to think it. Because there's power when we speak it out loud. Yeah, I don't know about you, but there's certain things that are hard for me to actually say out loud. 
There's certain things that I'm hesitant to say. Uh, for one, we'll, we'll try this one out. It's, it's hard for me to say when I need help. Anyone else? It's hard for me to say when I need help. And here's why. It's because it feels like what I'm really saying is I can't do this on my own. What it feels like I'm saying is that I'm not enough. Here's another one. It's, it's hard for me to, to talk about my dreams out loud because if I tell people my dreams and then they don't come true and they don't come to pass, then people will know and they'll judge me because I didn't do the thing that I said that I was going to do. So it's hard for me to really talk about if I've got this thing that I really want to do, but I'm not sure I can do it. It's hard for me to say that out loud. And, and then lastly, it's hard for me to talk about my brokenness the places that I struggle. Because when you give a little piece of yourself, when you try and be vulnerable and you extend a hand of trust, I know that that can be used for connection, but it can also be used against you. And so it's hard for me to actually tell people uh, the places that I'm broken. But here's what I think is interesting. Jesus knows that it's hard, and yet he still invites us to speak it out. And I think that's because he knows that inside each of these excuses is a powerful inverse. I think that he knows that when we say that we need help, that it's only when we come to the end of ourselves and admit that we can't do it on our own that we can begin to rely on his strength and invite him into the process of healing and helping and moving us forward. And I think it's only when we speak out our dreams out loud that other people have the opportunity to share them with us and help us carry them further than we ever could on our own. And I think it's only when we say things out loud about our brokenness that people have a real opportunity to connect with us, not as something that we're projecting out, but as an actual person. And it has the power uh, to hurt us, but it also has the power to connect us. And oftentimes, friends, the things that we're most hesitant to talk about with people are the things that have the most power to actually bring us together, to heal one another, and to actually engage us in the beautiful, uh, loving pursuit of community. And I think that's why the enemy's always telling you to keep it to yourself because he knows that if you take that thing that you're hesitant to share and you share it, there's so much potential for connection and beauty to come out of that moment. I think the enemy knows the verse in Ecclesiastes 4 that says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. He knows that there's power when we connect to one another. And so he is always uh, actually inviting us to hide the things that we don't want to admit about our lives. But in this Jesus, there's always an invitation to say it out loud. Because there's power, friends, in admitting that we need help. There's power in admitting that we're at the end of what we can do on our own. Scripture says that when we are weak, then he is strong and he can actually move through us. So that means that there's power in us saying, you know what, God, I am on empty. I've got nothing left in the tank and I am at the end of my rope. So I'm going to reach out to you and I'm going to trust that you are going to meet me here and you are going to move in this moment in power. There's actually beauty that can happen when we say, God, I cannot do this on my own. There's power that happens when I say, "Uh, God, I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but right now in this moment, I'm feeling a lot of fear and not a lot of wonder. So I need you to move. And friends, I need you to know this. It's not a surprise to God when you say that you need help. He already knows that you need help. It's us who need to be reminded that we need God's help. There's something about saying it out loud that actually allows us to, act, to, to access the power that God's already given us, to remind us of the dreams that have been buried deep uh, so that we can actually have the confidence to say, God, 
I want to see. I want to see things the way that you see them. I want to see me the way that you see me because a lot of times I look in the mirror and I see the brokenness even though you say that I'm beautiful. So I need to say out loud, God, I want to see so that I can begin to see and access that beautiful power that's been extended to us. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. I think it's such a beautiful picture. He, 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 God already knows, but he invites us to say it so that we can remind ourselves that we are in need of community and we're in need of God's love. Jesus stopped. Jesus invited him to speak. And then one thing that we kind of skipped over because I wanted to, to do this one last is that Jesus brought him close. Jesus brought him close. Scripture says Jesus ordered the man to be brought near to him. And friends, there's power in proximity. There's power in proximity. I don't want you to miss this. This is my favorite part. Everyone was trying to keep Bartimaeus at a distance. They were saying, stay away, stay quiet. But what Jesus does is he actually invites him to speak and he brings him close. So the final invitation is the invitation to come close. Jesus doesn't avoid the mess, my friends. He actually moves towards it. He embraces it. And friends, that's such good news for people like you and people like me. Is there anyone else in here who's glad that Jesus didn't decide to, to, to actually look the other way when you had a mess? Is there anyone in here who's just so glad that Jesus didn't avoid your mess that he actually created space and time when you called out for help, when you were at the end of your rope and he stopped? It says, Jesus stopped. He heard your cry. He saw your need and he extended a healing hand. Is anyone else excited about that in here today? Is anyone else excited that Jesus to this day is still inviting us with an open hand and saying, what can I do for you? Because he's still moving. He's still doing miracles. Last week, we got to see people who went down as sinners and came up as saints because God is still moving. He's still breathing new life and he's still, he's still reaching out to us and he's saying, what can I do for you? Not because he needs to hear it, but because we need to hear it. I share this story because it's not just a story about a blind man named Bartimaeus. It's a story about Jesus' relentless pursuit of each and every one of you. Jesus stopped when he heard your cry. Jesus called you close. Jesus said, what can I do for you? And when you asked in faith, God gave it. He breathed life into your lifeless soul and he gave you a new purpose and a new mission and a new beautiful existence that is marked by the grace of Jesus on the cross. I think it's so important that we know what this type of love actually looks like. If we want to be vessels that carry the love of Jesus to the world, I think we need to know exactly what it looks like. In Galatians 6, I feel like we get a beautiful snapshot. It says, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is, is love. And friends, we need to know that this love is messy. Friends, I need us to know this when you embrace the messiness of broken people, when you actually take seriously the invitation that we have to carry this love to the world. I need you to know that some of it gets on you, some of this mess. You don't walk away from it completely clean. Sometimes it's messy. And all week I've been wanting to show you a picture of what this love looks like. So what I decided to do is I invited some friends to, to actually help me to demonstrate it for you. 
They say, you can start coming over here. Friends, maybe you have a friend and they're struggling with depression right now. Maybe you've got a friend and they're not all that fun to be around because they're just sad and a lot of people are avoiding them. And a lot of people don't know what to say to them because they just don't have the energy or the love of life that they used to have. But this is what the invitation of carrying the love of Jesus to that person looks like. It looks like, hey, I didn't know that you were going through all this. I know it's been heavy. I'm so sorry. But hey, I need you to know this. I love you, brother. I'm for you. I've been praying for you. I see you. I'm with you. I believe that God is for you, not against you. And I believe that the best days are yet to come. And friends, I need you to know this. The invitation to enter into people's brokenness isn't the invitation to fix people. That's God's business, not ours. It's just embracing the mess of humanity. Maybe you got another friend and they're going through grief. They're going through loss. And a lot of people don't know what to say to them. And so they're just kind of avoiding the situation, even though everyone knows it's right there. And this is what it looks like to actually bring the cross of Jesus into that relationship and to actually model it in a meaningful way. It looks like, hey, I'm so glad to see you. I know you've lost a lot. I, I can tell that you're carrying a lot on you. I just need you to know this, my man. Come here. I love you. I see you. I haven't forgotten you. I know that sometimes you might be having these moments where you don't know what to do or who to reach out to. And I need to tell you, if you ever need somebody to talk to, I'm your guy. I am your guy. And I might not have anything to say back to you, but I promise that I'll listen. That's all that I can promise you. But I'm with you, my brother. I love you. And maybe you got somebody, maybe they're, they're not even that close of a friend with you. Maybe they're a stranger. Maybe they're dealing with loneliness. And a lot of people don't really know how to engage with that type of person. But this is what it looks like to bring the cross of Jesus into the relationship. It looks like, hey man, I know that we don't know each other that well. And maybe you've got people that uh, you're working with this stuff with. But I heard that, that you're kind of going through it right now. I can see that, that there's some, some mess in your life. But I just need you to hear this out loud. You might have people in your life, but I want to be one of those people. I want to be somebody that you know that you can call. Well, you know what? Why don't you come here? Because I love you. I might not know you that well, but I got a spot for you on my couch. If you are looking for a place to watch the Hawks beat down the Cardinals later today, <laughs> I need you to know that I'm with you, that I'm for you. And we might not be that close of friends, but I want to be somebody that you can count on. I want to be there for you. I love you, my friend. And all of a sudden you look down and it's on you. All of a sudden you look down and you realize that God might have promised you a clean heart, but he didn't say anything about a clean shirt. <laughs> he didn't promise anything about having a comfortable existence where all of a sudden we avoid all the people that we're uncomfortable with and we avoid all the situations that we don't know what to do in and we avoid the places and the conversations where we don't feel like we have the words. But here's the thing, you don't need the words, you just have to be there with them. That's what the invitation of love is. It's not the invitation to know what to say all the time, it's the invitation to stay in the mess with people. It's the invitation that, yeah, my shirt might be a little bit dirty. Yeah, I might have a little bit of pain on me, but I promise you this, my friends, if you get a little bit of shirt or a little bit of paint on your shirt, that means that there's going to be a little bit of purpose in your heart because this is what we were created to do. This is what love looks like. Don't you forget for a second that Jesus actually wore your mess on him. 
He didn't have to, but he did anyway. He didn't want to, but he would do it again because he loved you. It's not because he knew exactly what to do in that moment. It's because he embraced your mess. He called you close. He stopped. He heard. He, he, he actually extended a helping hand. Friends, this is what love looks like. It's messy, but it's beautiful, and it's what we were created to do. And I can promise you, friends, this is my prayer for the church, that this would be our legacy, that this is what we would be known for, that we would be known for entering into the places that other people don't want to enter into because they're too afraid to get their clothes dirty. But we need to know that Jesus got his clothes dirty for us. So will you stand with me as we close? I want to pray for you. And then since this story ended with praise, I think the best thing that we can do when we see the beautiful mess of love is to respond by thanking God and praising him for his relentless pursuit of us. So would you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, you didn't come to show us what clean looks like. You came to show us what love looks like. And God, love sometimes is messy. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes we don't know exactly how to engage with it. But Jesus, would you show us what it looks like to push through, to have the boldness and the conviction and the desire in our hearts? God, would you grow that desire? Would you increase our capacity to stand in the mess with people? Because we know that Galatians says that we were created to carry one another's burdens. God, would we be a people that run towards messes instead of away from them? God, will we be a church that's known for stopping when we hear a need, not continuing on by, not because we have time, God, but because we make time for people. We make time for messes. We make time for people that have no other place to go. We say, you can come, you can, you can come close. I'll listen. I don't know that I'll have the words to say, but Jesus does. And so we'll point to you, Lord Jesus, would you fill us in this moment? We love you. We love you. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.